Welcome to Wisco Dice! This is your host, the ghost with the most, the one, the only, the Konzi! And I am joined by... This is Justin the Meeple's Phantom. This is Suzanne, this evening's victim. <laughs> this is episode 99 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is October 26, 2022. And on today's episode, we are going to review Abomination, the Heir of Frankenstein. Of course, we'll also have an interview with Mark from Radical 8 Games, and we talk about the expansion that's coming to Kickstarter for Die of the Dead. Of course, then, we're going to catch up on the games we have been playing. But first, I do have a quick announcement. Those of you in the Madison, Wisconsin area, I want to make sure that you know that on the last Friday of the month, Wisco Dice will be sponsoring board gaming at Misty Mountain Games from 6 to 9 p.m., so make sure if you're in the Madison, Wisconsin area, you come on down and see us play some games with the ho- with the, your favorite hosts of this podcast. And who knows, we might even have a little swag for you before you walk out the door. So make sure you check it out. That's the last Friday of every month at Misty Mountain Games from 6 to 9 or 9.30 p.m. All right, with that said, let's get into the games we have been Playing. Woo. All right. Wow. So with that introduction, we have had a lot of fun with games this month. In Madison, Wisconsin, we had our big gaming convention called Gamehole Con this past weekend. And all three of us took a very active part in Gamehole Con. Uh, Conzi ran a number of games over the weekend, played in some. Uh, we all kind of talked to different publishers and other players there that about their gaming experiences, what they enjoyed. I had a lot of fun talking with the publishers that we have interviewed on the show in the past and some new ones that hopefully you'll have the opportunity to meet on one of our future shows also. One of the games that all three of us participated in is called True Dungeon. For those of you who don't know what True Dungeon is, it is this giant production um, that are put on at several of the gaming conventions in the U.S. I don't know if it's international yet. It has a feel of an escape room, but there's a really nice story with it. Nice as in it's a well-developed story. Not always Nice as in like fairies and gumballs and lollipops and whatnot. Um, So, and in this, you have your choice between two different uh, chapters in this saga that has been going on for several years. And you go through a series of several, about seven rooms. In each room, you either have a puzzle to solve. or you are fighting a monster. So, and and then along with this, each of the characters in your party, there can be up to 10 of you, plays um, a different 
type of person. So they're kind of themed on Dungeons and Dragons uh, characters or, you know, types of character uh, classes. Character classes. Thank you, Justin. That's the word I was looking (laughs) for. Uh, This year I played the Bard, which was a new one for me. I have been a paladin in the past. So you have these tokens that you use to build up your character, um, to build up your strength and your fortitude and all those other um, your weapons, levels, your armor, weapons. Uh, yes, you know, rings of their magical amulets, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of trick out your character and be this character as you're going through in the different rooms. Um, it's just a lot of it's a lot of fun to see people like there's actors in all the rooms doing things there's some animatronics really cool scenery and then on top of that you are playing this giant life-size game as you go through there it's a very immersive experience um each of the runs that you go on takes about two hours you have about 12 minutes in each room and it's timed very precisely keep everyone moving through (laughs) and like i said you can play with (laughs) one to ten players uh you know it's it's just a a lot of fun and it's a nice teamwork building experience if that's something that you're into also. So I don't know if uh, Konzi or Justin, if you have any other thoughts that you want to add about this game that we, this adventure we went on. I think the main thing is like that I would say is if you enjoy role-playing games and you like escape rooms as well, you should definitely be doing this. It's, it's, it's an experience that you should have. Um, the puzzles in the in in the dungeon is one of my favorite things. They're usually very interactive and physical. Like one example is we had to work together to hold up this stone archway that we had to kind of build in one of the as one of the puzzle rooms, uh, and we all sort of all had to be carefully balancing the pillars and the arch stones and stuff like that. And it, they just do a really good job at coming up with different puzzles. I've never seen a puzzle repeated or even really like similar to other puzzles. They're almost always unique. So yeah, I, you know, if it sounds cool, definitely check it out. It's worth it. You can do it at GameholeCon, Con, uh, Gen Con if you're there. And I believe they do Origins as well. Those are the ones I know about. If you go on their website, which is just true jun- truedungeon.com, it'll list all the different play- uh, locations that they will be in the in 2023 even and which chapters of this odyssey will be at each one so i will say true dungeon is a ton of fun and i've been doing it of the people in our group i've been doing it as long as anyone i will caution our audience a little bit one i hate puzzles puzzles are terrible Worst part, although I did enjoy, I, I will say I did enjoy the ball puzzle that we did this year that, that you had to get this uh, ball from like the bottom of this thing and it had this little piece of like plastic on this square box. You're trying to get it up, but everybody's kind of hold the contraption. You can't touch the ball and you, you got to kind of like roll the thing all the way up this thing that's like, I don't know, way up over your head. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. more physical puzzle that you enjoy versus the uh, yeah, trying to figure ones. out the riddle. I hate those. Type puzzles. Those are terrible. <laughs> Unlike Justin, who loves those, I'm much more the combat room kind of guy. I want to oh, slide that favorite. puck. 
Yeah. The trap, though, that I was getting to is that all of your items are represented by basically tokens that are poker chips. They have like the true dungeon stuff on one side and like a sticker on the other side that tells you what it is and what it does. There are various rarities of these tokens, which means if you want the really good stuff that is more rare, it is, you're either purchasing way more packs of tokens hoping to get lucky, or you start buying tokens on the aftermarket. And so that is the trap. There's a trap! Because what <laughs> will in, happen if you get really into this is you can easily spend hundreds of dollars on individual tokens to get like a plus two to your attack roll. And for me, and for what I think the vast majority of people who do True Dungeon, it is, yes, getting good gear is fun and is part of the game, but it is the experience of going through the story and discovering these new elements and seeing the actors and seeing the sets and the animatronics. And so when don't get sucked into the trap that is the tokens, enjoy <laughs> True Dungeon for what it presents and what it does, because that's the experience you're getting out of it. That's just that's just my two cents. Everybody's different. Some people may like to really collect tokens, and that's fine. But I am not a millionaire that can spend thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on tokens so I can have the perfect character. You also have a wife who would be very upset if you. Yes, to trying to justify spending a hundred-ish dollars for a new axe for my dwarf was definitely frowned upon. So, <laughs> yes, it's a trap. You had the option to yeah. buy a real axe That's instead. That's on the wall. There you go. Yep. All right. So, Justin, what other games have we been playing, or have you been playing? Yeah, I I got a. Uh, besides uh, True Dungeon, I played a fair number of different games while I was at Gamehole Con. The one I wanted to talk a little bit about is Cartographers. Cartographers is from local Madison game company, Thunderworks Games. And it plays in about 30 to 45 minutes. I think that is quite accurate. It's a pretty quick playing game. And it can play from 1 to 100 players all at the same time. Uh, and that's because it's a roll and write game, or flip and write in this case. Most of what you're doing in the game takes place on a single paper sheet that is a map of the kingdom that you're going to be exploring and, and building. Cartographers is, I think, a really good introduction to the roll and write, flip and write kind of genre. It's pretty easy to learn, plays quickly. I think it's it's satisfying to draw on your map and, and make it feel like a real fantasy map. The setting of the game is in the role-player universe. So if you're familiar with that game, there's there's some uh, definitely some familiar themes and, and arts and stuff like that. In the game, you're going to be drawing different terrain to build out this kingdom and this map that you have. The game takes place over four different seasons, or four seasons, summer, uh, spring, fall, and winter. Not in that order. And in each turn, you're going to draw a different type of terrain somewhere on your map. 
there will be a card flipped over to tell you what types of terrains you can choose from. So you might get a card that's you can either draw a forest or a village, and then you need to use a specific polyamino or tetra shape and draw that somewhere on your map. So your map is a big grid of squares, and you're going to draw a little forest in each of these squares that matches this tetra shape. And you work your way through the seasons, adding things more and more to your map. You know, the way that the game scores is that there are a number of Queen's Edict cards that act as scoring cards for the game. And each of those just shows you how you're going to get points for each of the different types of terrain. So one example would be an edict that says you get three points for every section of rivers and farmland that you have on your map, as long as they're not touching each other. And so you kind of got to work with the cards that come up and your placement of things in your map to, to try to maximize your points on each of these edict cards. To win, you, you need to be the best at all the queen's edict cards and get the most you can out of them and also collect gold from mines and the mountains that are on map at the start of the game. I think this, I mean, it's a great flip and write game. It's got a great fantasy theme. Um, and then the other cool thing about it that is, I think, unique for a roll and write is there's a little bit of player interaction. There's a special type of card that'll come up once in a while that is an ambush card. And it'll be like a goblin or a bugbear or something. And what happens then is you actually have to pass your map to another player, and they get to draw that monster on your map somewhere in a place that's really going to mess you up. They try to put it in the most inconvenient space for you. And that's really fun to just like get to mess with someone else's uh, map. So I really like that aspect of it as well. Not super common in, in Roll and Rights, I think. Yeah, Cartographers, I really like that one. And if you're if it's Roll and Rights or something you're looking into, I'd say give it a shot. Cartographers is great. Uh, it is definitely my probably favorite Roll and Write game currently, or of that style of game. And I think the mm -hmm. big reason is I have not played a lot of Roll and Writes. It's definitely not a genre of games I'm super excited about. But in Cartographers, when you start the game and you're making this map, by the time you're done, even if you don't win, you look at your map and you go, that place could actually exist. I could run a game in this, you know, I could run a D&D game in this world, or I could <laughs> I could see see somebody adventuring in this world, or, you know, and encountering, oh, hey, here's where the bugbears were, and here's where the, the orcs were, and, and here's where there's this little town here next to a mountain and some forests and a river. And it all, like, the whole thing makes sense. It is very satisfying. You feel like you've crafted and created something that could be real or that you might be able to use some other way. So hoping or or waiting for the next game uh, that uh, Keith Thunderworks comes up with that takes these maps that we're creating and cartographers and takes them and makes it part of some other game like he did for role player adventures and role player. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, I agree. This is a really nice, well-developed role and or flip and write game. I am not a huge fan of the flip and write games or roll and write. It's a lot of pressure to draw something that looks nice. And I, don't I'm not a drawer or <laughs> not an artist in that way. But this one with the, the card flipping mechanic and being in the role player universe, 
it really drew me in and you get immersed in the theme of it more than other uh, flip and write, roll and write games I've played before where it seems you could put any theme on it as long as you have a pad of paper and a pencil. So, yes, definitely excited to keep playing this and see how it may grow in the coming years. So I wanted to talk a little bit about a game that I got to play at GameholeCon that uh, none of the other hosts here have gotten a chance to play, and that is Distilled. Uh, And if you remember back to episode 82, I actually interviewed Dave Beck, who is the creator of this game. So Distilled is a game for one to five players, I believe, from Paverson Games. This is their only title currently, although he just announced his second game uh, that's going to be in the works. Playtime for this game is about two hours, I'd say. Uh, Of course, it's only based on the one play that I have, so we'll find out more when my copy actually shows up in hopefully January, February time frame. So this game, man, I've been wanting to play this game forever, and I tried to get into a game slot at, at Gen Con and missed it. And then missed my opportunity to actually chat with Dave. So it was great chatting with Dave at GameholeCon as well. But in the game, basically, what what happens, the premise of the game is you've installed, uh, you've inherited a distillery. And you've decided to reopen it and make it, a, make it go at stilling alcohol, stilling liquors. The way the game works is you're going to purchase various cards from four different markets, basically. Uh, and... Uh, those cards are going to include improvements such as rooms and additional workers that you can get that will enhance your distillery's capabilities, item cards that will allow you to improve your bottling and barrel aging processes, and you'll find special ingredients that are really upgrades that have better revenue generation and potentially victory points, ingredients that might lead to you know, from a liquor's perspective, might lead to better flavors or certain unique flavor characteristics that that more more expensive liquors on the market might have. And of course, finally, then there are the, just the basic ingredients market, like basic yeasts and water and some basic fruits and whatnot, sugars, plant-based sugars, fruit-based sugars, and various other sugars that you can get. The one thing with the basic ingredients market, because there are cards there that are free. You can only go and and purchase things from the basic ingredients market uh, twice in a given round, so it gives you kind of a limit on on all of these things that are fairly low cost and money to purchase, and that would give you a, a definite competitive advantage if you could just buy as many of them as you wanted. What I really like is then is you're going to basically once you've purchased all of your ingredients for the round, uh, you're going to take all of those ingredients and and distill your alcohol and to do that you take all the ingredients you have to have at least a water a sugar and a yeast but as long as you have those three ingredients then you take all the ingredients you can have as many sugars as many waters as many yeasts you want and go into the alcohol that you're trying to brew when you take all those cards that you're going to put in and you may not want to put in certain sugars like it may like if you're trying to distill a gin, you don't want to use any plant-based sugars because that wouldn't you can't make a gin then if if there's plant-based sugar left in your pot. And so once you have all your ingredients, you shuffle them all up. And then you take the top card off the pile and the bottom card off the stack. And 
put it in your your uh, storage area for for the next round. The reason being is that when you're actually distilling alcohol, there is the I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the brewer's cut or something like that, or distiller's cut, which is that the top part, the the first the first whatever ten percent and the last ten percent are actually you can't drink it. It's actually toxic. So those cuts, though, can be reused in the next batch, which is very interesting. So it's a really cool game mechanic that's actually emulating the actual distilling process. And when you do that, then you look at all the all the cards that you have left, and you match it up against the different types of liquor that can be made during the game you're playing. And, it, and that can be changed out from game to game and customized, although the basic moonshine and and vodkas are always basically in the game. And then every player has their own unique liquor that they can produce in a given game. So effectively, you can produce liquor seven times because there's seven rounds in the game. You have some additional options like barrel aging liquors, which can be fairly risky, but huge points rewarding. So there's a lot of like really cool depth and mechanics and a lot of different ways to, I think, play the game. And one of the coolest ways. I've seen to teach a game, although it feels really restrictive when you're doing it. And that is that they basically pre-prescribe the first turn to you. And every player is doing like something just a little bit, uh, just enough different that it shows you all of the mechanics. But it then sets up that player to be able to then if they follow the recommendations for future rounds, you're like, there's a, there's a point in about round two or for me in round three, because I'm a little dense where I went, Oh, that's how it works. And then went and, uh, uh, had a really great experience. Uh, no, I did not win, but I did come in second, which I felt pretty good about that considering I was, uh, one of the only players on the table that did not try to go into any barrel aging. Uh, I was just making gin like crazy. <laughs> so that that is distilled. It is I will say it is a high. I I I can't <laughs> recommend this game enough. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear from Dave again around the time when this thing is hitting retail, so so we can get you guys the details on how you can get a copy for yourselves. Really looking forward to this game hitting our table here. So. I'm glad you got a preview of it so you can teach us all. Yeah, I think we got all of the cool gubbins for upgrades, the playmat, and all that. But if we didn't, I'm going to have to beg Dave so we can get a, nice. get all the good stuff. Because it's the coins, the playmat, all of it. It's just, it's just going to... It it all feels like it's needed to play this game. <laughs> all right. So for all of the details and pictures of the games we've planned, make sure you head over to wiscodice.com. That is wiscodice.com for all the links to these games that we discussed. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take a moment to take a break, catch our breaths, and catch our interview with Mark from Radical 8 Games and find out what's coming next for Die of the Dead. All right, and we're back, and we've been joined by Mark from Radical 8 Games. How are you doing, Mark? 
I'm doing great, thank you. I'm doing, uh, yeah, really good in this uh, cold British uh, afternoon. <laughs> we've we've got we've got a cold Wisconsin afternoon here, so not too much different. I think I'll, I think there's snow a, a bit north of us actually right now, but uh, unfortunately we're not we're not seeing snow quite this early. No, Mark. Thanks so much for joining. We've also got Suzanne here as part of the interview. I wanted to just go ahead and start off with, you know, a big thank you for joining us today. And and can you just tell us a little bit about Radical 8 Games? Who, who are you guys? Yeah. What kind of games do you do? What's what's the company look like? Yeah, so, so Radical 8 Games is pretty much me. Just uh, publishing, doing some designing, developing, but actually publishing uh, games from uh, interesting uh, designers. I would say in the UK, the last game we published, uh, uh, The Mask, was actually a Canadian designer that we, uh, we met at the uh, UK Games Expo. But it's me. I work with some people. I get on board for, for different projects. I've got an artist used uh, for the last two, uh, few projects, uh, Rusen Bell from Mexico. We used her for uh, Die of the Dead, and as well as um, uh, a lot of play testers and uh, fellow developers uh, in the uh, north of the UK. Uh, but primarily, uh, if, if you're ever talking to someone from Radical 8 Games, you're going to be talking to me usually. That's cool. And UK Games Expo is definitely one of those events that are on my like high end, high level of to do list to make sure uh, that uh, I'm a part of at some point in the yeah. next uh, few years. It's fantastic. I love it. I, I mean, I love all conventions, but obviously the ones just down the road. Uh, there's another one called Aircon, which um, is is literally just down the road from me uh, which is uh, superb but yeah uk games expos if you can get to them do so well that's something like Conzi said is definitely on our our bucket list of conventions to go to so we're looking forward to making it over your weight one of these days or one of these years i guess you mentioned some of the games that you've put out already are there any other <laughs> games you're that are currently in development or that you're working on for radical eight games so the focus at the moment, we just we're doing the shipping for Damask, which was a uh, a game all about uh, making these silk patterns. So uh, we crowdfunded that earlier this year. Uh, we're focusing on the shipping for that, and also obviously on the um, Die of the Dead expansion, which we're launching. After that, there's a few design ideas we're working with, but our focus, you know, the, those are kind of putting on the back burner for now. Just making sure everything else that we're working on is good. So nothing as of yet. It's, it's not quite a blank slate, but as, as close as it, as it has been, I think, for a while uh, in terms of upcoming projects. Okay. But there are some in the pipeline, it sounds like. So oh, yeah. Eventually... So the, there should be something. There's something, there's something very exciting, which I've, I've made a prototype. It uses cogs. I love cogs in games, and I don't think there are enough games with cogs. You know, that where, where, the children's toy where you put loads of cogs, you turn something and something the other side of the of the table moves uh, i love that idea so we've been toying a lot with that and then getting some mechanics down with it but then like i say just for now that's i'm trying to push that in my mind because you know there's a danger of losing focus and think okay let's just make sure everything else we're getting is perfect but if you like cog games then i think we're going to have a winner uh hopefully uh, sometime next year those were some of my favorite children's toys so i'm excited exactly exactly who who didn't love a little mouse trap with all the little cogs that were turning that giant contraption? Yep. 
<laughs> so you mentioned uh, Die of the Dead and the expansion that's coming here mm-hmm. shortly, and we yep. we know that's coming to to crowdfunding here very soon uh, for the yeah. expansion to that game, uh, I, and it wouldn't do without mentioning uh, Justin, who couldn't be here with us today from the show. He backed the original game when it came when it came out. He gushes about the artwork. It's he loves it. It's it's a very very one of his favorite games. What really was the inspiration behind Die of the Dead? How did that really come to be? So uh, it was um, at Aircon, a UK gaming uh, uh, festival, where I met the designer James Allen, and he was he had a, a prototype, and I was helping to run a UK playtest area where people can playtest games. And his prototype, it had these caskets uh, with these um, sugar skill uh, sugar skull motifs on them, and it just you could tell it looked interesting and there was a lot of work like after that getting getting it developed but that initial thing everyone who walked past stopped and looked at it and i was talking to him afterwards and i said this theme you know dear de muertos yeah there's there's a game skull which i absolutely love i think it's fantastic but that you know that that doesn't really take the theme as far as it could do and so after i talked to him about his game and then i went back myself i did a bit of research myself and then I got in touch. Uh, I've got I've got uh, a friend from Mexico, and um, I also talked to a, a cultural consultant and basically said, look, you know, could we incorporate this further without it coming off as being, you know, two people from uh, England, you know, we don't want a cultural appropriation. I know it's kind of a thing that British people used to do, but it's not something we'd really want to take advantage of. We wanted to make sure it's respectful because the theme was just – it. It was just something people wanted. It's something I really like. Like you said, the, the artwork, absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and that was it. So so, so, so it was the idea of the theme, the caskets, and just the other thing I should say about it, about his prototype was he had these caskets, people were shaking them. And that was, and that was just it. Just the joy of having almost a toy in your hand, something tactile to shake, to play with. It's just fun. And I wanted to develop that and, you know, bring it to a, a much bigger audience and uh well yeah hope, hopefully i did with the base game and then obviously the expansions to take that even further well i mean it's 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 got dice it's got tactile yep. things you can play with i mean what's there not to love like that sounds just yeah. awesome That's, oh yeah colorful. and i should also oh th- thank you yeah very oh we have to get colorful so when we got we got the artists who went from mexican artists we said we want it to represent the the culture we want it to represent that celebration feeling and and they did such a fantastic job. One other thing I should say is, of course, the pun, Die of the Dead, is just, yeah, that that's a great name. I think James came up with that just for his prototype. I've, I would imagine, I think that might have been the first thing he came up with. Um, and it was like, yeah, okay, we're ke- keeping the pun, definitely. Yeah, no, that is that is great. And it also describes the game a bit. You're, you know, playing Day of the Dead, and with dice so you just in the name you know what you're getting into so there's expansion that's coming out does it add or change the base game to expand on it yeah. make it better uh, so there we've actually there are two expansions coming out there's the okay. uh, the first expansion is called uh, the friend of variant uh, and this is because when we did the initial kickstarter a lot of people asked for solo modes and the original the base game you couldn't really have a solo mode in there and so after it was released i got talking to james we're trying to think of how we could 
make something a bit more cerebral, uh, something where maybe there could be a Solomon who's a bit more thinky. And we designed this expansion. The idea was to design an expansion which um, we could give out as a free print and play, so like a kind of reward. After, after we'd sent all the rewards out to everyone, uh, all the game, we could say, like, there's another reward, here's a free print and play, um, using the components. Uh, and we did so, and it, and it became this kind of dice drafting game where you had to uh, fill up uh, an altar de muertos with the offerings. So again, we're still taking even more about the dead, the dead uh, to incorporate in it. And this grew and evolved, and we play tested it, and we put it out, and we got some feedback and evolved it some more. Uh, and it basically grew into this, I, I call it a variant, because it, it takes the base game and it changes it significantly into something a lot more thinky. So it's a uh, uh, random uh, input instead of random output. So in the base game, you, you roll the dice and then whatever happens with those dice, that's what happens. That's the result. With this variant, it's you roll the dice, but then you choose which of those dice you want um, and everybody chooses. And so... For those people who want a lot more control in their game, this variant, it, it's, it's for them, really. And people who want solo modes, this variant's for them, while still, you know, being all about uh, Dear de Muertos. So that's number one. Uh, number two uh, is called the uh, Cholo expansion, about the, uh, the Cholo dog, the Mexican hairless dog, a very cute dog. I've looked at enough photos uh, when, when going through uh, the design of this. And the idea with this is is to take the base game and then just add more of what people love about it. So this adds uh, more ways to manipulate dice. Uh, you've got a tiny little, I say tiny, it's actually quite chunky, little uh, uh, Cholo dog meeple, and use that to guide people to choose certain caskets. Um, it's got alternative casket boards. It's got more custom dice. And so really it's an expansion for those people who they're like, love the base game, we just want more, you know, more of that shaking of caskets, more of that dice manipulation, more options, more ways to change the setup. So it's got every, if you like the game, this expansion, it takes and says, yeah, we're going to give you more of that. Oh, lovely. Because that's, it just adds to the replayability then also. For someone yeah. who really loves the game and hasn't played it a bunch, you just add some little change-ups to also make it probably more challenging <laughs> then you know it's not the same hey this is a card i have and here's what i do every time i get this so very cool that, thank you what i like with expansions is when it just adds on a little bit more that way yeah. to the game so if you're like me and not as cool as justin who backed this game originally and you're wanting to get the core game are you going to be able to do that as part of this project that's coming yeah. out what other goodies are we going to be kind of that you can tell us about that we're going to also be able to maybe get to add on to the game is there anything else that's that you're going to be trying to accomplish with this project the really enhanced die of the dead so with this uh, you're going to be able to get the base game doing the base game and the expansions we're keeping it simple because last when we crowdfunded this originally, it was it was a, it was a really good success. Really happy with how it did. Um, and then the shipping crisis and COVID kind of just slammed into it. And I remember afterwards us saying we made enough money from this game to do a second print run, but not enough money to actually ship it anywhere. So uh, so this is kind of saying because we had loads of people getting in touch with us afterwards saying, can I get a copy? Can we get a copy? Um, we printed 
an additional, I think an additional 500 and we just sold out straight away. So with this, really it's an opportunity for those people who wanted to get a copy to finally get a copy of the game. Then obviously if you order expansions at the same time, we're gonna try and discount that as much as possible. So, you know, to really reward, because I do think when you do any kind of crowdfunding, you want to have a reward for saying, I'm going to I'm going to play this, uh, you know, without seeing lots of people get finished copies. And so we have to reward that in some way. We should try and do it by making it, you know, as much of a deal as possible. I'd say thank you to those people. I'm not going to have I've tried before going down the hole, um, you know, let's do these exclusives, do these exclusives. And I find that often um, it just it's it's a big headache. And then uh, some people, you know, if they can't get them, they get a bit angry. And I do also kind of think if if you don't back the Kickstarter, you should still be able to have the full experience. Uh, you you know, you might need, you might pay more for it, but you still get that full experience. And I want everyone to have that. So definitely get if you, you know, if you want to have the base game and expansions, please, please do support us. But if you miss it, then hopefully, I mean, we saw that last time. Hopefully we'll print enough so. I mean, obviously, selling out is brilliant, but we don't want anyone to be disappointed. All I'd say is if, to guarantee yourself a copy, that, that's what we're offering, I suppose, uh, with, with the Kickstarter. Hey, that's absolutely fair. And and you know what? That I think that's actually admirable. A lot of, a lot of companies that we've been talking to, a lot of publishers we've been talking to, it goes either way, and we actually got asked in our last interview whether you should, whether whether we thought you should do exclusives as part of a Kickstarter. And I certainly see the attraction and the marketing towards that, but it's you know in something like this where this might be your only chance to get this game. I know you're gonna you know do everything you can to print extras and whatnot, but this is really for a lot of these small publishers and small uh, smaller games that are you know independent. This is your only opportunity to get the game, or maybe your only opportunity to get the game, unless it somehow falls on the second-hand market or something for bloated prices. So, yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you back this. You know, it's definitely going to be something where, guess what? You know, Justin talked me up so much on this. This will be a day one back for us now this time, too. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when, is it actually, when is it going to be launching on Kickstarter? 27th of October. October so, 27th. Uh, okay. October 27th. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Says I am putting that on the calendar right now. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, yes, it's. Uh, no, I. It's gonna say it's um uh trying to do the maths now. How many days is it? So it's six days before Dear the Muertos, so second November. So you know, we really it, it's something we've been working. We've worked on expansions for a long time. And we would, you know, I've been working on making sure uh, Damas gets uh, manufactured ship to uh, to a high standard over the summer. But I wanted to get this out before Dear the Muertos really try and say to people, look, th- we've got a game which is so perfectly themed around this celebration. Have a look at it. Get involved. Yes, no, it definitely is. Uh, so this is your big focus right now is yep. getting this Kickstarter that's coming out. You've mentioned a couple other games that Radical 8 Games has put out, such as yep. uh, Damsk, which I just pulled up as we were talking. Again, beautiful <laughs> colors with it. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then I noticed there's a couple, like at least one other game on your website. So can you tell us a little bit about these other games if people are interested in just yeah, finding sure. out more about what you do? Absolutely. So so Damask is a, a design by uh, Barbara Burfoot, um, and it's a, it's a first design. 
It's a game about sewing these silk patterns. Again, it, it, I think visually incredibly striking. I saw this one at the, it was a designer publisher uh, meetup at the UK Games Expo where designers get the chance to pitch these games. Uh, and I thought, you know what, that that could be a really successful game. I think it's it's got really simple mechanics to it or i think simple might be the wrong word but it's 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 very straightforward it's one of those games where your options you've got a couple but what they actually mean is really deep you know anybody can play it and and you could you know you can have some people puzzling there for for a long time uh trying to work out the best move or just play in a matter of you know just do whatever they feel is right it's all about matching these silk patterns getting these uh cubes essentially resources to make these silk patterns um but we incorporated a spinning wheel we thought you know if we're, if we're sewing silk let's get a spinning wheel in there um with a really nice mechanic about how you actually uh, select uh, the silk for your patterns using the spinning wheel um not gonna you know go through the rules here uh, but really proud of that really it's just a really nice game to play really easy to learn but really deep when you actually get into the mechanics of it and just very pretty to look at. Then before that was Die of the Dead. Before that, there's a, a card game uh, called Forks, uh, which is just a really, so I've actually got a copy here, um, really a small box card game. Just one of those ones kind of like, I'm trying to think of the word, same way to say Six Nymphs or something like that, you know, just something you can, you can carry in your pocket, take to a pub and just play it, uh, you know, for a couple of games, waiting for a round, that type of thing. It's it's a it's a fiendishly brutal game. I called it Forks, uh, named after uh, forking in chess, where uh, you've got essentially you're being attacked from both sides and you're going to lose one way or the other, because uh, that's the kind of game it is. That one is uh, we we did a Kickstarter for that, and we've got some leftovers. However, I made the incredibly uh, foolish decision to hand make all the boxes. Um, so I've got loads of cards left and no boxes. Uh, I've recently recanted that decision and just ordered somebody else to make the boxes for me because it was taking me ages. That's what we've got at Radical 8 Games as well. There, there are other games which I've been involved in the design of, but uh, but those are the ones from, from, from our company. One of the things we we find very interesting and, and really fascinating is is trying to understand what motivates people to get into this crazy world of game design and publishing? <laughs> because I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm like every avid gamer out there today that I have glories of, uh, and ideas of, Hey, I could design a game and publish my own game. And then I start really looking at the, the amount of work and money and, and effort you have to put into it to, to, and with the risk of not being successful. So, what what really got you into this this world and made you want to start Radical Eight Games and do all of the things you're doing now? Yeah, so designing games, like uh, designing games, is one of those things which I just always assume that other people love to do, and I'm always surprised when some when someone who enjoys playing games doesn't also want to design them because to me, designing and a, and a lot of a lot of people out there will agree that's almost the fun part uh, when it comes to uh, uh, working on games. So, like a lot of people, I designed a whole bunch of games. I, I you know, pitched them to publishers, made prototypes and, uh, and everything else. And I've got, you look at my shelf earlier behind me. I think the bottom half of that is just loads of prototypes for previously pitched games and the like. Then, a few years ago, one of my games actually got published. 
it got picked up and I went along to the company just to just to see what they were doing really to see uh, what the process was like and whilst I was there I just thought you know what I reckon I could do this and I think you know what sometimes when you visit somewhere you think oh I've just made so many small mistakes I wonder if I if I could do this better and turns out I think I've just made lots of different mistakes instead but yeah when I saw them doing that I thought I could do this let's start with a small card game and I did and it's you're right it's it's a it's a lot of work but I think it's it's rewarding and it, it's it's when people just come to you and they say I really enjoyed your game I played that game it was a lot of fun it's just a really nice feeling and uh, yeah it I don't think and unless you're incredibly successful it's not something you'd really do for the money it's something you do just because it's it's a creative outlet with a really nice feeling attached to it and yeah that so that that's why i do it the publishing part is because i've just i've worked out that uh like i say i i've seen others do it and i thought i could give it a go myself but also i've seen friends with really good designs which i sometimes bypassed and i think actually no they're you know Let's give it a go. Let's let's see if I could publish them like I did with Dad Dead. So, yeah, that's that's what that's what made me want to do it. <laughs> we'll see if it if I still want to do it, you know, as 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 things go on. But hopefully. Oh, we're glad that you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I would say I I understand a lot of what you're talking about in, in when you talk about it from the podcaster world as well or the uh, the content creator world as well. There's there's the first time when I was walking through a convention and somebody walked up to me and went, I listened to your show. Oh my God, you guys this you know, started gushing and it's like, oh, okay, that's why we do this. Right. And so yeah, it's, it's a little less risk to do the podcast thing, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's awesome to see the games you're, you're putting out are, are cool. And Justin can't say enough about die of the dead. So I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to get get my hands on it and or get a play or two of it in. So I was, I was just wondering, because you are talking about, you know, what's inspiring you to kind of keep going and do the publishing aspect of this. Mm-hmm. But what games have been inspirational or to you to help you with designing games? Is there anything that's like really pushed you into the design of them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one because... I've realized that so, so my favorite game, all-time favorite game is Agricola. Absolutely. Number one for me. And it's kind of pushed me away from designing anything that approaches Agricola. Because uh, it's not that I wouldn't want to step on those toes. It's just that I think, oh, but that's such a good game. How would I go beyond it? And so I kind of end up going around, uh, going almost to other ends where I think, oh, there are some games which, like Die of the Dead, it's, it's, it's a struggle for me to say what it's like because it is so unlike anything else that I have played at all. And so it's almost going to those those polar opposites, maybe, of games that I like. I will say a game that has kind of inspired me recently is um, Blood on the Clock Tower. I've been playing a lot of that, just in terms of thinking about social deduction games and how what they can actually do that's part of it, but also the, uh, the sense of location in the game. Um, and Blood and the Clock Tower played it a lot in pubs, at conventions, and the idea that people just go out for a wonder, they, they go to other rooms. And, and some of that does speak to me in terms of what can you do in terms of, you know, location, uh, actual physical location in games. And again, that's something I've been working on. 
but yeah, I think I think a, a lot of it for me is it's not you know I, I don't think I've ever consciously stolen a mechanic or thought oh that's really good let's do it this way. Normally I think oh that's a fantastic implementation of something. I don't I don't need to design that. Someone's already designed that game and it's brilliant. I can leave that alone. Let's go and design this different game instead. <laughs> Sure. Sounds like you're working on improving other game mechanics that aren't perfected yet. <laughs> yeah. So, well, just, awesome. just bringing some new ones in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Location based or area based. I'm starting to see a, an interesting trend in that direction with some some games. Two rooms in the boom uh, from a social deduction perspective, yeah. splitting, you know, not overly complex, splitting people into the two different rooms. I've seen some uh, escape room like games now that are starting to implement more of a like a dollhouse or some kind of mansion or something yeah. that's interactable. So, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, I can see I can see this kind of evolving. How can I take advantage of somebody's environment to really get them more immersed in the game uh, and go back to, I think, Suzanne, you had a part birthday party when you were a kid, right? That you, you did whatever, dress up or whatever you did for that, yeah, like that, a, that made that immersive experience. Like, yeah. Yes. Like, um, kind of like Clue, live action yeah. Clue game, Cluedo. Yeah. 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 So, that, so that kind of stuff, it sounds so fun, doesn't it? And, and there's, there's not much of it out there. It was the only way I could get my friends when we were eight, 17 or 18 years old to play a game with me <laughs> was to have a theatrical aspect to it. So that was back before gaming, board gaming and gaming in general was the cool thing. Right. So, yeah, right. absolutely. Just real quick, get back talking about the the expansions here. So we October 27th is when people can expect yep. the Kickstarter to come out and that they can start backing the game and the expansions from there once the campaign it's a are you running what a 30 day 45 day campaign 20 day what's the, the uh, campaign? Tw 23 weeks 21 days 21 days so 21 day campaign after that what does the rest of it look like i know shipping and global getting things produced are huge yep. factors but what are you hoping to have to have this stuff in people's hands Absolutely. So, uh, so campaign will end around mid-November. Then we're going to allow ourselves about a month. We always go to these campaigns print ready, but obviously, you know, we send those files to the factory. They manufacturers, they're going to send stuff back and say, "Do you mean this, this, this?" So, we're allowing about a month for any amendments that need to be made. Then a sample copy uh, to be sent normally takes a week. After that, we're then going to full-scale uh, production. So, hopefully. Um, around January, obviously got to bear in mind the New Year's holiday in China because that, that knocks factories out for a few weeks. But I was going to say optimistic on a realistic level, I, I'd hope that we would be uh, shipping by uh, March, April time. But I mean, what, one thing I pride myself on in, in our campaigns is the amount of clarity uh, that we give to people and the, the updates where we say, you know, this is this is where we're at. This is, you know, what's happening. And, and so far, We've, we've never actually been late. We've been early with all our deliveries, uh, crossing our fingers for Damas because that's currently uh, being loaded onto ships. So ho hoping for the same thing. But yeah, the, the fact that we're entering this print ready does mean that we're looking at definitely less than a year in terms of turnaround. That's awesome. That's that's great. And that's great to hear. So hopefully everything goes smoothly and that's that's a yep. super exciting time frame to get things returned and, and get games into backers so you can keep riding that excitement right and 
You know, there's too yeah. often. I'm looking at you, lightest uh, Cthulhu Wars from Peterson Games. <laughs> been waiting, I think, three or four years now since that since they ran those. At least it feels like since they ran the original camp the campaign. So it's yeah. very exciting to be able to talk to someone too. That's that's you know, hey, we've been here, we've done it before, we've got great great consistency, and you know what, you're gonna get your game while you're still riding that excitement from uh, initially backing it. Yeah. So that's that's great news to hear. So, Mark, before we wrap things up here, is there anything else that we should know about Die of the Dead, this kick, this campaign that you got coming out that we didn't already mention or talk about? I don't think so. Uh, uh, just for everyone, just to, just to obviously please check out our Kickstarter page or look us up on Board Game Geek, that type of thing. But no, it, it it should be we've 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 released this game before. People have loved it. We sold out almost straight away. So if you do want the game, please back us because we can't guarantee. Essentially, we can't guarantee that that we that will be out. Like you said, we're a small company. We we can't afford to do those massive print runs. We have to basically print what we've sold. So no, otherwise, just thank you from me, I guess. Well, it's been an pl- absolute pleasure having you on the show. If for a link to the Kickstarter campaign and to the Radical 8 Games website, you can go to the sh- the blog post for this episode. It'll be in our show notes. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this, Mark. We really appreciate it, and best of luck on this campaign and all of your projects. Let's, uh, everyone, make sure you run out there, back this game right away. We're really excited for it. We hope you are. All right, and with that, we're going to go ahead and get back to our main topic as part of the show right after this little break and word from our sponsors. Hey folks, this is the Conzie of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. We're back! Okay, I'm scared. (laughs) Well, you should be, because we're about to review Abomination. The Era of Frankenstein. This is a horror-themed game, so we we picked this to review for this spooky month of October. Abomination, the Heir of Frankenstein, is from Plaid Hat Games. It plays two to four players and from 90 to 180 minutes. In Abomination, the Heir of Frankenstein, you're taking on the role of a scientist who is attempting to build a companion to Frankenstein's monster by gathering various body parts and hopefully bringing them to life. You are doing your grim work in the city of Paris while also being pursued by the captain of the police, who will start to catch on if you're doing any uh, too illicit activities. This is a competitive worker placement game where you're going to need to carefully manage these gruesome resources that you collect, the organs and, and muscle and blood from various sources 
uh, as they decompose and you try to use the best quality materials to build your monster. There's a number of ways to go about uh, getting the things you need to build your monster. You could be uh, a decent person and just get cadavers from the Academy of Science for your work, or uh, maybe get uh, fresher bodies from the town square where they've recently executed a criminal. And if you're really not a good person, you can just uh, go and find your own bodies. Get them on your own in the dark streets of Paris, which provide the uh, freshest freshest uh, uh, <laughs> materials for you to use. Not only will that start to alert the captain of the police, it's also going to reduce your humanity level in this game. So besides managing the various resources you're using to build your monster, you also have to manage three separate dials which represent your scientist that you're playing as. You have a humanity meter, which tracks how good or awful of a person you are, depending on if you've done more illicit activities to get body parts. You've got a reputation counter for your reputation in the community and with the uh, Academy of Sciences, and also your expertise, which is a measure of how good you're getting at, at putting these monsters together and, and bringing them to life. and you need to raise that one up to a certain level to truly be successful in making your monster. I think that provides a pretty decent overview of, of what the game is. So let's uh, jump into our review. We're going to talk about the components of this game first. So my impression with this game, almost all the components are very nice. They're cardboard tokens, nice cards. The game board uh, is good thick cardboard and and has nice art on it but the kind of the main sticking point for me is that the player boards which have these little dials on them that you use to track those those three different attributes uh, are just made out of a thin card stock and just don't fit in with the quality of the rest of the components and it's not not good in comparison to the to the rest of the components in the game yeah i agree that that part makes you wonder if you were a heavy player of this game, how long the components would really hold up. Uh, we've, you know, we enjoy this game, or I enjoy this game. It's a nice heavy Euro game, but it doesn't hit the table as frequently as some other games. So I guess I recognize that those are, you know, they're an eh type of, item for this game with the reviewing it but what i like is that you have your own player board so you're doing your thing over there and then you have the main city board so you're going to that it kind of keeps you a little separate from the other players and so it's i guess it's components that <laughs> there's a main board and a player board and that's just something i really enjoy with games because for myself i need to mess around with my resources and pick them up and just have that tactile thing. And if they're on the main board, I can't do that because that yeah. <laughs> is not is frowned upon by the other players. So I, I get the components aren't the best, um, but it didn't detract from the game for me that much. One of the things I really do like about the player board is the section where you build your monster. So there is this big wooden table where you literally have to assemble the body parts of your monster and there are 
um, cardboard tokens to represent the head and the torso and the arms and the legs of your creature. And you have to start by laying down just sort of a, a, a body part that's just muscle and bone, and then eventually uh, put skin on top of that. So you flip the token over. Uh, so for you know some of the game, you're going to have a half-assembled monster with like a sort of muscle head and torso, and you'll have one arm flipped over to like the skin side. And it, it it's really, uh, I think, satisfying like thematically. Um, and that's one of my favorite components with it. Um, yes, I, that, I like that a lot. <laughs> that definitely adds to the theme of it because you are seeing your creation kind of be put together, and it's gory looking, and yeah. just as if you had a dead person on a table in your house, which I hope no one that's listening does right now. But <laughs> um, no one tries to actually assemble this. But you know, then you get some skin off some somewhere and then you can flip it, you know, put it over the arms. So you can flip that over and it just really adds and immerses you in the theme, the building of this there. So yes, that is, it just pulls in this horror theme and immerses you in that and makes you wish you, well, no, it does not make me wish I want I could build one of these guys. It's just really kind of cool to be doing it in a fantasy setting. Do you have so. any thoughts on components, Ben, or should we? Components are adequate. Move on. They are. I don't think they blow me away, but they are like everything else of this game. Gruesome in their depiction of art dark yeah creepy and a little bit scary it's so fitting to this game but it's uh definitely not something that you should leave out with your young kids in the house that's a good point it is pretty gruesome and their depictions of dead people and bodies and Definitely, a, a mommy. I see dead people. Sure. <laughs> okay, he's just playing his game. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, as you say this, I realize I've got some of this game set up in my room in the back table, and now I'm thinking about maybe I should <laughs> put that away. <laughs> but uh, let let's move on uh, to our next category here and talk about the rule book and the kind of ease of teaching this ah, game there is no ease of teaching this game this is <laughs> just, just started yeah. off right there you go Done. that sums it up it's not an easy yeah. teach I, I will just say quick that it, it, it the game is a heavy euro game with worker placement as ben said the rules are intricate there's a lot going on and i think for me it's not over the top of what i would be willing to sit down and learn to play a game, but I could see that being an issue for some people. It's definitely a thinker trying to learn how to play it for the well, first time. I guarantee time, this so. is one of those games where I handed Suzanne the rule book and I sat down and watched the video because after about a paragraph, I was like, okay, I'm bored. This is, I, I just cannot absorb this rule book fast enough. Here you go. I'm watching a video. Um, <laughs> it is. 
Uh, that said, flipping back and forth during the during the game, even back to the rule book, I found the rule book a bit clunky and not always answering what I wanted to, to answer. Maybe that's because I never actually read the rule book from cover to cover, but I, I find that well written rule books, I can usually find what I want, even though I haven't written uh, read uh, read the rule book from cover to cover. In fact, I usually can find what I'm looking for in a rule book that's well written faster than people who haven't or who actually read the rule book. I'll also say there there are player aids in the game that I think are crucial because some of the mechanics involving the decay of your resources and which ones you need to build a certain body part and the sort of end quality of that body part and the level that it is is kind of complex and you really need a, a simple uh, summary of how that all works. I I would probably have to look at that aid every single time to figure out, you know, what I what I need to do to build the mm-hmm. left arm or whatever and how how good of a job I did at it. So let's uh let's talk about kind of overall gameplay. <laughs> I think this game represents kind of a unique combination of elements. It is a Euro game with a horror theme and a, a Euro game hybrid, I guess, because there are some storytelling aspects and a little bit of, I guess, choose your own adventure mechanics in there, too. There's a story that goes along with the game with the monster or Frankenstein's monster kind of doing things throughout the city and the, the captain of the police kind of chasing him and around and trying to, you know, get wise to your activities as well. So that's unique. And I, I just don't think there's a ton of horror Euro games, which for me, that's a, that's a cool point about this game. It's pretty unique. It is absolutely immersive from the art and the depiction and the little narrative elements that you end up reading throughout the course of the game. It is probably my favorite part of the game. It fails at trying to get you to that full-blown horror like, hey, I'm playing like I'm scared or I'm running or I'm terrified that Frankenstein's going to get me or anything like that. Like that 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 element, it doesn't convey that that true horror element element, but where it where it doesn't do that, it excels at making you feel very wrong at doing things that make you do really well at this game. <laughs> Well, I really need those fresh body parts, so maybe murdering somebody would be a good idea. Oh, but it's murdering somebody! Why? That's a bad idea! I really do enjoy that part of it. I mean, this is probably my favorite part of it, is the the theme and immersion. And that that's it. I am not a big Frankenstein fan myself. Right away, that, I think that's that was something that I was like, uh, I'm not sure, but like, it really does feel and fit that that theme and what you're tr- what it's trying to go towards. Yes, it does. I definitely feel like it fits the Frankenstein theme that you're kind of con- trying to continue his work. And when I look at it that way and not so much as the horror, but the, the experimentation of trying to create this human, um, it was very immersive for me that way because this is something that you should not be creating. So you are going around and sneaking around and taking parts of what you can. And for me, that it was a very immersive game that way. And I just enjoyed it. 
I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe more than horror, it just kind of creates an unsettling, dark atmosphere. You know, there's no scares or anything like that, you know, but but it's just this dark board with, you know, every building is dim and creepy looking. You guys have said it. The theme is the strongest aspect to this game. This is one of those games, and, and we just got done do, doing a review for another game that's much lighter. But this is one of those games that it's definitely a mood and a theme and an immersive, immersive experience is really what I think you're trying to go for with this thing when you play it. This is the one where you want to dim the lights. Not too dim, or you're not going to be able to see certain things or symbols in the game. You might, you want to be able to read the text. You got to be able to see the game. Dim the lights just a little bit. Put on your favorite horror movie soundtrack, or 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 something of suitably creepy sounding in the background. Get together with four of your closest friends and run around Paris. Looking for parts to make your masterpiece. In terms of the actual mechanics, I mean, the worker placement is fairly simple. You've got your scientist and some assistants. You can go around and send them to the different parts of the city to, to do what you need to do and get your body parts and things like that. And then you bring those resources back to your player board. They decay slowly over time. And you're trying to kind of get the right amounts to, to build the body parts. Um, I think it's pretty good as a Euro game in that aspect for the resource management. I think the decay mechanic is neat. Um, something I haven't seen in a lot of games that the resources you gather just slowly get worse. You know There's where they stole of... that from, right? Enlighten me. Dungeon pets. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know if they stole it from that or not, but that's another game. No, but yeah, it does decay. have some. Yeah, you decay your that. resources, you mm-hmm. decay your food. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, I, you know, I think uh, it's pretty good as a Euro game, uh, the actual mechanics. The most satisfying part is just finally getting all those resources you need and putting a big old, you know, Frankenstein torso on, the, on your slab and uh, trying to charge it up with electricity. Yeah, which if I remember right, that was a bit of a a little bit of a random thing. Like you never mm-hmm. knew for sure if you were going to bring it alive, and that was like a big game winner, game loser kind of moment, right? If if there are a couple players are really close at the end, if one person whiffs it on their like bring it alive check, then you might yeah. not get another chance before another player wins a game or something like that, or ends it. Actually, yeah, it just ends it. Because it's still points or whatever, but it's a very interesting game. Let's talk about the replayability of this one. My first instinct is that with the storytelling aspect, there's a pretty big stack of events and encounters that you can have. So as you play this game over multiple plays, I think probably you're going to see totally new events until you've played it a ton monster building aspect will be pretty much the same but then you also have a character card that you get at the beginning of the game that represents you know your character your scientist and they have special abilities or actions that they can do to kind of change how your game would play so i think that adds some replayability there what do you guys think 
I think there's a lot of opportunity in this game to change up your strategy on a per-play basis. Do you want to play this game as a scavenger and creep around in the graveyards, or do you want to be a more feral and, and violent scientist who has no qualms about running around the streets of Paris and killing people for what you need or, or are you just going to take over, take, you know, are, are are you so morally elite, elite that you're going to make a bare bones effort at trying to create the monster uh, while keeping them just happy enough by grabbing whatever scraps you can. It, it, I think that that gives you a lot of options. Of course, there's a lot of mix and match in those different play styles as well. But I think those are those are things that you could try to push and see if you could achieve in future plays of this game that really give you a chance to try to st- strive and explore the game in different ways. Uh, while still playing the same game, of course, yes, the events, the narrative elements that come up are going to change from game to game. I, that wasn't, I don't think I was blown away from the events nearly as much as I thought I would. I didn't, they were cool little bits, but it, that that piece didn't really kept, capture me enough. It was more of these exploring these different ways to discover and get the things that you needed and how you you know would then have to counteract the consequences because there are consequences mm. the game will start to punish you if you don't counter those consequences you can't be a murderer and just murder because you will get caught and there will be horrible consequences for you so you have to you know you have to go then take actions to draw the suspicion away from you and and things like that. So I found I, I find those aspects really, really interesting and really make you make you want to explore this game again and again. Um, so I think there's probably uh, a point where I might explore all of those different things out, but there's definitely ways to explore the game for a, a decent amount of replayability and for a game that you're probably going to sit down and take take a two-ish hour play or two and a half hour, maybe three hour play, especially if you don't play it a lot. That's that's a really good, really good amount of plays because probably 10, 12, 15 plays uh, of this game and you're either in love with it or you're, or you're like, okay, I'm ready for another game. <laughs> One thing I'll add in here too is the uh, designer of this game responded to some criticism that he got when it initially released that the uh, playtime was just too long. People were having these really long plays and sort of not not having a satisfying time doing what they're doing. And that coupled with some of the randomness at the end of the game, there were some legitimate complaints made about some of the mechanics there. So he actually went ahead and, and wrote a, a version of the rules that allows for a shorter game and some randomness mitigation with the charge up mechanic with these uses these dice that you roll and if you roll the right thing then it's your body part gets charged up and it's live but you can always fail at that so if you've played the long game and is a little too long for you you can go to either i believe their website or i'm sure on board game geek and get the the short version of the rules printed out and maybe that will be add to your replayability on this one 
or we'll try to do our due diligence and make sure that a link to the short version play rules are available on the show notes blog post right along with where you can go ahead and download this episode off of our website. Perfect. I will make sure that they are there for everyone to access. That said, yes, I think we've all played the long version and mm-hmm. there was a point during the game where it felt a little longish. And so exploring that shorter version sounds like it uh, could definitely make the game a little bit more accessible. And, and certainly we'll get into our final thoughts on this game. That's what we should probably dive into. So here on Whisker Dice, we use a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 would be Frankenstein taking your organs for another scientist to make his partner instead of you doing the construction. Of course, you could have it. If we give a game a 10, this would be where your creation is perfect and lovely and beautiful. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! All right, so, Suzanne, what did you think of this game? I am not sure how I can follow that, just saying, but (laughs) I gave this game a 7. I did that mainly because of the theme and the immersiveness of that theme in here. I really felt like I was creating this monster and scavenging the city for parts and having to sneak around while doing it. And then, of course, you need to wait for a lightning storm to power it up and see if it works or not. And if you get struck by lightning. So it really worked for me that way. Uh, and it, I enjoy the Frankenstein's monster story. And so this seemed like a good follow-up to that. So, Konzi, what were, you, what were your thoughts on it? So I'm going to caveat my score with... I think this game deserves a better rating than what I'm giving it. But I'm going to... I think I have some some good supplementary reasons why I... I give this game the rating that I do. So for me, the game is a six. I actually thought about making it a little lower. And the reason why wasn't that the game isn't good. The game is actually a really good game. And while it does feel a little longish, I think part of that time and the complexity of it makes it very hard to table. In addition, the theme can be off-putting for some players. Of course, when it comes to this time of year and it's spooky season, that's usually pretty easy to get away with and, and not have to worry about too much. But based on the amount of complexity that this game has, coupled with a longer playtime, it's hard to get in on a week on like say a weeknight when I have to when some of the players might have to work the next day. Um, It almost makes it where I have to fit it into some special, almost planned window to play it in. And then I always have to go, I have all of these very complex games that take the two and a half, three hours to play. Which one do I want to play tonight? Or which one's going to be more well-received to the people I'm playing with? And almost always the answer is not this game. And because of that, I have to give it a, a slightly lower rating. It has 
as much as I like the game and I think it's a it's it's a it's probably deserving of a better a better ranking for me the game is a 6 and I wish I could find a way to get it to the table more um but I'm really not doing I it really isn't excite me enough to to do that exact thing so that's why I give it the score I'm given Well I'm going to fall right in between you guys uh for me it is a 6.5. There's not a lot else out there like this game. I uh, I very much like a horror theme, and I really like Euro games, and so for me, it's like a, a perfect combination. That said, this isn't the kind of game you're going to be able to bust out after Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Like, never. It's got a pretty small niche that it's in, and... As Ben said, I think it just makes it difficult to get people to play. I really like the theme and the combination of the storytelling aspects with the uh, resource management mechanics. To play this on during Halloween season, I think it's it's great. But there's enough small flaws that it just keeps it from getting a higher rating than that for me. I I do really enjoy it. So there's just a few small things that keep this game from truly coming alive. That, that's our review of Abomination, the heir of Frankenstein. So if you love Frankenstein, you love dark, gruesome games, this is probably the game for you. But if not, well, move along and make sure that you catch up on that. You know, Thanks for listening and catching up with us while we talk through that review. But also... When we talked with Mark and Radically Games and all the cool things are coming in the Die of the Dead. Come on, there's that little dog meeple. That thing is so cute and awesome. I mean, it's worth backing the expansion and getting the game just for that. If it wasn't for the rest of the crazy cool art in that game. Of course, we also talked about the games. We played at Gamehole Con this weekend. A lot of good games that were played, as well as the True Dungeon experiences photographers and of course that play it distilled so make sure if you haven't you know catch our show notes on whiskodice.com that's where you get all of our notes for all the in all the images and everything else that we put up with this episode thank you so much for listening make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts oh and by the way give us a like on our facebook page and don't forget to follow us on twitter Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at whiskodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Whiskodice.com. That's right. It's whiskodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>